Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. It is summertime. We've had our first day of summer. And it's it's the middle of the year, which is crazy. Um, this has been a really fun month for us because we celebrated our 11th year anniversary as a company. Um, during that company meeting, it was very cool. We had a bunch of employees just sharing reflections and stories. And um, I just got to say, it's been a very cool month for me. People said, like, why do you guys celebrate the 11th year so much instead of like your 10 year? And it's because so many companies never make it past 10 years. That would just seem like it was a, a great time for us to celebrate. Uh, today on the program, I've asked Daniel to come back, uh, Daniel Gogler from PFL. And I know probably some of you don't know Daniel. You probably know PFL, so I want to introduce him in a moment. Um, but the topic today, what he and I are going to talk about, really has to do with branding and defining a category. And um, I think you're really going to get a lot out of it because for those of us in marketing that struggle with you know, introducing a new product or even introducing a new company, you are always challenged with, hey, how are we going to position this and message this and differentiate it from our competition? So that's really the focus and theme for today. Before we jump into that, let me give Daniel a proper introduction. Um, for those of you who don't know PFL, it used to be Print for Less, but they rebranded their company name years ago. Uh, Daniel had the natural career progression from being uh, part of the U.S. Forest Service and a firefighter uh, up in Montana to joining PFL, gosh, in, in 2005, which is uh, 13 years ago, depending on when you're listening to this. And he's really spent a good part of his career there, growing up there, being part of their original customer success team, and then being on the marketing team as a marketing manager, director of marketing um, on the business development side, and now is their CMO. So Daniel and I get to spend a lot of time together because the companies work so closely. So many of our clients use PFL for all their tactile marketing needs, aka direct mail. That's that We're going to get into that. Um, but we're also a client of PFL, so I've gotten to know the team very well. And let me just uh, give a couple of shout outs because they are founded and their CEO is Andrew Field. And Andrew is an incredible guy, very down to earth, um, as most of the people from Montana seem to be. Just a really good hearted person, great leader, cares so much about his employees. Uh, when you walk through their offices in Montana, which by the way are gorgeous and beautiful, I just picture standing at a glass window and looking out and seeing nothing but mountains and just beautiful land animals, like, you know, not in the zoo, but like animals you'd see in a zoo, but actually out in their backyard. Um, absolutely incredible. And he leads the organization, runs the organization, Daniel and Marnie and Francis and Yeva and just everybody there, Zeke, who's on their sales team. They're just great people. And they really care a lot about the quality of their products, the quality of their service and the relationships that they have with their clients. So Daniel, thank you for just caring so much about us as a client and for being an amazing partner and for being on today's program. So welcome. How are you? Uh, excellent. Thanks, David, for having me. And congratulations on 11 years. That is a, a huge milestone. I didn't even know MarTech existed 11 years ago. Personally, I know it, by history it did, but uh, 11 years ago, I don't think I was even aware of it. So uh, that's, you, you were definitely in the forefront uh, and 
seeing Demandgen uh, on the front of that and now being a leader um, as one of the system integrators and marketing consultants in the space. So congratulations on that. Uh, it is a pleasure to be here uh, today talking about uh, what it looks like to, to stand up a new category, and I'm just excited for the discussion. Cool. Well, let's jump into it. Uh, quick little backstory for me. So um, I think I talk about this in my book, what did it feel like to get promoted into marketing? So I get uh, promoted. I had been running uh, channels and really kind of grew up in the sales organization. And then this was my big break to come in and be the director of marketing. And so, you know, I did what any marketer did in that day I would have done, kind of getting a promotion like this and not having been in marketing. Um, I went out to the bookstore. Um, by the way, for those of you who don't know what a bookstore is, it's like a retail establishment where they sell books. I'm being a little facetious. But... Um, you know, that's where you got your information back then. There was no internet at all uh, when I got that role. And one of the books that I grabbed was by Al Reese and Jack Trout. Now, the reason I grabbed that book is I used to work with Al's daughter, uh, Barbara Tien. Barbara's great, one of the best product marketing people I've ever worked with. Um, big shout out to her. I've had Georgianne Benish on Demand Gen Radio, and Georgianne, Barbara, and I used to work very closely together. So that was all during that era. And so Barbara recommended the book to me, uh, which was called The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing that Al wrote. And in that book, which I still vividly remember, he talked about um, law number one. So the law number one was be first. If you are going to be a marketer and you're going to market a product, be first. And why did he say that? Well, he used examples from what I recall, like, Daniel, who was the first person to fly across the Atlantic? Do you know who that is? Oh, the first person. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm positive. Isn't it's not Amelia Earhart, is it? She's the first, the first woman. woman. So you actually but still her. set up the answers. Charles Lindbergh was actually the first, and I should have said who's the, who was the first man to fly across the Atlantic. You would have got that. But what's interesting is that's what he said in his story, which is, well, who's the second person to fly across? Who's the second man to fly across the Atlantic? And nobody knows who that is. I still to this day don't know who that is. But he said, well, who's the first woman? And you gave the right answer. So this was like, if you're going to come out with a soda and there's Coke, well, what was the Uncola? 7-Up, right? So his law number two was, if you can't be first in a category, define a new category to be first in. And the reason for me that that book was so important at that time was we were introducing a remote control software product. Um, back then, a product called PC Anywhere from Symantec was category leader. There was a product called Laplink, which was another one. And here we are at Fairlawn introducing a new product called Timbuktu. And we had to introduce that product as a remote control piece of software, we felt. So there was two things that we did, Daniel. One is um, we were the very first Macintosh remote control software. So that was one of our new categories. And the second category is at the time that we were introducing this product, the internet was just coming to be. And so there was this new network that you could screen share or remotely control. So we were the very first remote control software product for the internet, for doing it across the internet, which enabled new categories of help desk usage and such. So that was my experience with defining a new category. And I got to say, throughout my career, even in my role as CEO of DemandGen, who we are and our positioning been certainly relevant. So um, I asked Daniel to come on the program because, and, and he'll tell you the story, but at one point, 
they said, you know, we're going to rebrand the company. We're also going to take, take a new positioning. So can you tell me the story of like how that came to be that why PFL is not a direct mail company and, um, and some of the, the, the thoughts that led into that, that positioning change? Yeah. F- first of all, I'll just say we didn't have that foresight of like, hey, we're starting a new category. Um, it, it's, uh, we, we just kind of happened and we recognize that it's, it's changing. Um, and the interesting thing about PFL is it's happened, ha- actually happened twice. And uh, so the first time was printingforless.com. As David mentioned earlier, is what was the, the kind of premise that really put us on, on the map initially in, in terms of a fast growing company. Before that, we were a local print shop, express color printing, but printingforless.com was the first people to offer uh, commercial print online. And uh, before that, they're in really customized products on- online. Um, and we basically did it out of necessity. Uh, we were located in Montana where there's more cows than there are print buyers uh, for certain. And uh, we, but we also recognize that customers have a real problem. And I'll try to shorten the story as quickly as I can. Uh, there was a gentleman came in and wanted a fly fishing catalog uh, printed, of course, uh, but he had done it in Microsoft Publisher. Uh, David and I are both dating ourselves here with, with, with our, some of our facts and history, but uh, uh, most people probably don't know what Microsoft Publisher is anymore, but that time it came on every Windows PC, and uh, he had designed this catalog in that, and no commercial printer at that time would accept that sort of file type. Uh, it was, you just couldn't deal with it in terms of uh, processing for print. And uh, we recognized that need in the market. We said, well, how many other small businesses out there um, want to print a uh, publisher file? And so we figured it out for that one customer, and then forgot how, and then had to figure out again how to do it. Um, but we recognized that, and so we, went, we said, well, there's got to be more people out there that, that want that uh, to be done. And so it started with this customer heart mindset of if we can solve this problem, um, and then how do we, well, how do we reach more people who have this problem? And that ended up in creating that category of online commercial print, which is now um, a multi-billion dollar category and something that we're really proud of in our, in our heritage. And the second time with uh, now with tactile marketing automation, uh, which is our integration with marketing automation platforms or Salesforce CRM to really change the way that marketers use uh, direct mail uh, compared to how, how they used to think about it. In fact, we, we want to distance ourselves from direct mail, and I'll speak about that more later, and the importance of branding. Uh, but we really listened to our customers and said, uh, we said, what are the problems that they're struggling with? And truth of the matter is nobody actually wants to buy direct mail, right? They want to buy engagement. They want mm-hmm. to buy results um, is what they're yeah. trying to buy. And so what are the, what are the, what are the solutions that, that we need to come together to, to do that? And what both of those things had in common is that there was a perfect storm of macro trends, um, that really started to redefine um, a category and by uh, listening to what the customers are trying to do or where they struggle and those stuck points and how we responded uh, is what uh, put us in the midst of, okay, now we can go create this new new, new category. And then all of a sudden you realize, uh, oh, shit, I'm in, I, we, we, we're doing this, right? Uh, sorry if I can't swear on the program, David. Oh, people swear uh, all the time on the program, <laughs> so feel free. Go right ahead. <laughs> all right. Um, and... Uh, you know, so that we had those macro trends of uh, just declining response rates in digital marketing, uh, and then the maturity of marketing automation and CRM systems uh, adoption was coming up, and uh, marketers and uh, salespeople were really ready to adopt new technology. Um, and then we also had an era of digital marketers, digital natives, actually not just digital marketers, who had a complete 
different set of expectations of how marketing should be done and how we should execute on this. And uh, th th those trends uh, fed into the second category and part of the reason why it's been a, a success and, and part of what's driven our era uh, in, into this and in, in our company uh, to move away from being a printing and fulfillment company um, uh, on the e-commerce world uh, to provide to being a marketing organization, marketing technology company uh, that really helps customers deliver results. Um, and so that was the big change. Um, Printingforless.com, the name is kind of funny. It was the best domain name they could find at the time. That's how we ended up with the name. So there wasn't a lot of thought put into it. So many businesses, I think, get branded that way. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, so PFL um, obviously kind of became a natural um, uh, progression for us to shorten it up and we hope to uh, people just remember us just like you do FedEx um, no one remembers it stands for Federal Express um, or UPS uh, and someday it's just it's you, you PFL it you PFL it well you you see so many signs of, of this new category development in especially in technology right I mean just even SaaS software as a service is a new category for software instead of, you know, software showing up on a mm -hmm. disc or software being on-prem, right? It's it's software in the cloud. And in fact, Salesforce's original logos and IDs, right, had to do with no software and stuff like that to emphasize the point. And, and they were such category mm -hmm. changers at the time that, right, remember there were, they knew that there was going to be two different, kind of gets into Jeffrey Moore's crossing the chasm aspect of like, you know, if people had always had software on-premise, and now there was software in the cloud, there would be a certain type of adopter that would be willing to move their infrastructure to the cloud. So because you guys, you know, said, we don't want to be a direct mail company, um, and, you know, digital, certainly alive and well, and never going away, the words tactile, you know, tactile marketing, that, that physical, it's kind of like there's experiential marketing, right, which is a rebrand of event marketing, in some ways, or a broadening of what event marketing mm -hmm. is, tactile marketing. What was it like for you to, I mean, I, don't, I think you guys have a board, um, but who who was part of the process, either names or roles, in the, are we really going to call this tactile marketing? And you know, this, what that what that experience was like going through the people who I'm sure had different differences of opinions. Yeah, so it really, yeah, definitely some differences of opinion on what the, the category name should be called, but really it was a, about dissing us from the existing status quo. And uh, I, I actually just Googled this the other day, and if you Google direct mail um, and you get the Google definition, uh, it's it's about the it's a sad uh, definition. Who'd want to be associated with it? It, it goes something like uh, unsolicited advertising sent to prospective customers through the mail. Uh, and, and so I actually looked up and I was like, I was like well, Google's obviously uh, a digital company. They don't want uh, to uh, give direct mail too much credit, uh, even though they do a ton of direct mail themselves. Uh, so I had to, I went and looked at some other sources to see if they did any better. And it, it wasn't any better. Uh, the other definition I found on Webster's was uh, printed matter prepared for soliciting businesses, business or contribution and mailed directly to individuals. And that is so far from what it is uh, we're helping customers do and achieve uh, that we, we had to figure out a way to say that so this isn't just direct mail and, and part of it is a definition thing, but we also wanted people as they looked at our products and our services, that this is a new way of doing business. And the analogy I use all the time is it's uh, uh, ESP email service providers versus marketing automation. 
And uh, you can use a marketing automation platform to send an email, uh, but if that's all you're using it for, you're, you're missing out on. And I think uh, uh, that, that's the really the change and the category uh, change that we're seeing uh, with, with direct mail and what tactile marketing automation is. Uh, and so the, the definition of tactile marketing automation is, as we defined it, um, is personalized, high-impact, direct and dimensional mail that's integrated and orchestrated with your digital marketing and, and your sales efforts. Um, and so it's, it, it's not a single channel. It is a, it's more of a concept um, than uh, just a, a single piece of mail uh, sent to an unsolicited to a, a prospective customer through the mail. Has it helped? I mean, have you found that the, the positioning um, which you've, you're now what, two years into the tactile marketing positioning, give or, give or take? Yeah, we're, we're actually going on almost four years. Oh, really? Um, okay. I, I think this spring, yeah. So uh, we probably weren't as clear and as bold with it early on because, like I said, we didn't know we were setting out to, we, we didn't really think we were setting out to do in a category until um, we, we put a few things out there uh, and, and learned from it. Uh, but but it's it's going well and it is uh, you know it takes some explanation and uh, I think uh, my sales team and sometimes my marketing team says we're tired of explaining what this is can't we just use something that's uh, more descriptive uh, uh, so that people just automatically know what it is but the reaction when you talk to a customer like no here is the difference right uh, here is the difference between tactile marketing automation and just sending a piece of mail that change in thought process and the feedback we get is you're making me a better marketer. Uh, from our customers. And so uh, we do feel like, you know, putting that stake in the ground and uh, saying this is a new category and a new way of thinking uh, was the right choice. And that's that's an important topic um, lesson is, you know, is when Al Reese talked about, you know, if you're going to define a new category to be first in, this isn't, it doesn't come easy. Like you said, it's it's been four years then for you guys. It felt like two years to me and that's maybe because you guys became you know, so vocal about it and, and taking Al's advice, which is you're going to have to lean all the way in and spend a bunch of money to define this new category. And you're going to be met with resistance. Some people who are kind of tried and true in their ways would be like, you know, I'm a laggard or I'm a late majority adopter. This is the way we've always done it. I don't want your shiny new toy and your your new category way. Like I drink Coke. I, why would I want to drink 7-Up? Yuck. I like even Diet Coke, you know, which is which was a diet soda. In, in fact, in other countries, they call it, you know, light um, because different countries respond to messaging, of course, differently. So there's so many implications of creating a new category. There's the cost. There's educating your sales team, educating your customer service, you know, taking a real stab in the market and just spending the money to create the category. But certainly worth it if it's going to truly differentiate yourself and set you apart from the competition in a in a positive way. I feel you for you guys. Well, it was yes, category defining for you. I feel that what you were doing was so innovative and so cutting edge, especially at the time and still today. Like you said, tactile marketing automation. It was more than just print on demand. The vision, right? It was more than that. And so, defining this concept of what tactile marketing automation makes sense. But I I just. Uh, you know, can't imagine everybody when you and Andrew and the others were like, here's where we're going. Everyone like, yeah, that makes sense. Let's do that. Of course, it's a no brainer because I've certainly had that resistance. Yeah, it, it definitely wasn't um, uh, just oh, let's go do this. Right. Um, Andrew, Andrew was easy as an entrepreneur. He was the easy one to, to, to get on board. He's a, he's a risk taker, a visionary, and uh, he fits a classic mold of uh, 
there's no way this could fail, right? He can never see how something could fail. So, uh, but for most people uh, with category creation, you're, you're asking everyone to bet on something new um, and where they might think there's product market fit and that sort of thing. And so you're going to have folks that are going to resist that change, uh, both internally and with customers. I remember the first MarTech uh, trade show we went to, uh, people just turning their eye up like, what, you do direct mail? Like, 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 stuff, like, like in the mail, like the post office, does, does anyone still get that? Like, and you get these, some of these interesting reactions uh, and, and resistance because they, they were not seeing yeah. um, where, it, where it's going. And uh, the, the, you know, the, the area where we really said, like, hey, yeah, we're actually doing this is all of a sudden when you went uh, to, to conferences and you start seeing everybody else talk about it. And you see John Miller from Engage, he was talking about ABM and how direct mail is one of the most important tactics you have to have as part of your ABM programs. And you see uh, Marketo talking about, like, how they're doing direct mail. And then, uh, and then you see Google, uh, a completely digital company, is doing tons of it. All of a sudden you feel... Uh, you see like, wow, we actually, we got through, right? We, we made a change. Um, but if you look at it now, you're like, it seems kind of obvious, right? Why right. wouldn't um, you, you do this with uh, direct mail? Um, but that concept of, you know, you're asking people to bet on new, it, it happens internally. It also happens with, with customers. Um, you know, you have to test out that product market fit. Uh, but you're asking your, your customers potentially to pay a lot of money on something which is somewhat risky. Um, and you have to find uh, those early buyers who are visionaries and can embrace the vision and are willing to take those risks and, and, and also adopt your, your, your narrative. And uh, it was funny, some of the, the best customers we saw, even when we were uncomfortable using the phrase tactile marketing automation, I would say internally, because we weren't sure that's exactly what we should name the, the, the product or the category. Um, but we found, we, if you look back now, the best customers, those early customers who really uh, got it and got on board, they, they, they started evangelizing right around that term and stuff uh, um, right from the get-go um, because they bought completely into that vision and that narrative and uh, figuring out uh, how, how they can help sell that, 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 that as well to, to, to their internal stakeholders and, and drive the results that they need from it. Yeah. There's some good good lessons that I learned over the years in terms of creating a new category. I mean, the one is you know, be ready, be ready for it because um, you're going to have to carve some level of your marketing budget out for category creation and definition. You know, if you're a big tech company, you're probably wanting to educate Gartner and Forrester and the other analyst companies on this new category and justify why it needs to exist and put yourself in your own upper quadrant. Uh, you know, is often the case. Um, but I always find the best place to start when you're creating a new category is with the why. You know, some, someone just in their brain probably said, you mean like Simon Sinek? Yeah, exactly. You know, start with the why. He's, he's the why guy. And why do you create this category? And if you can teach your team to tell the why story, then it will help to justify why there's a new category. Um, and we see examples of it every day, right? There's gasoline cars and there's electric cars. So what, as you said, like when it's really done well, Daniel, you look back and you're like, uh, of, of course we have electric cars. Like, why would we only have gasoline cars, you know, and, and there's solar powered homes versus, you know, traditional powered homes. And so you got to start with the why story and be prepared to give your customer facing team, really everyone in your company, the story mm -hmm. so they can authentically explain why you're a category, um, you know, creator. And, you know, yeah. if even if you're a services provider, 
how you deliver your services can be the category changer, not just what you're delivering yeah. or your price point. Um, you know, you, you said print for less. You want to be the low cost printing solution. For some, that's a category creator. Look at look at um, FedEx, right? FedEx wasn't necessarily technically doing anything that another company wasn't doing. They were shipping something from point A to point Z, but they were doing it overnight, and that was their category. Um, what other lessons have you learned and, and experienced? Yeah, I, I think um, you hit the nail on probably the most important thing, which is uh, you have to really take on the approach of we need to educate um, the market about what is that category. And uh, so you have to resist the urge just to go out and try to sell and show features um, and really educate on that why um, and, and teach more than you, than you sell. Um, and for us, that also means you have to take it a, a level deeper is because uh, even when we, we found those first customers uh, who are willing to take the risk, you have to tell them what the best practices are and, and, and really help them figure that out and teach and work with your customers and, and continue that process over and over again. I think the other component um, to, to really uh, start to evangelize and to, to get the, the, the category stood up uh, is you have to invest in uh, really demonstrating what is the value you deliver on, on that why um, and, and start with that in mind and, and, and figure out how you're going to prove that within an organization, particularly in, in our case where it's a B2B sale. If you're in B2C, it's a, it's a little different story. But you have to um, make sure that they uh, can understand why they're making that here's the hope and dreams that you're selling them when they're going to make this investment and you have to make sure that comes true. And so that really early on in category, you have to focus on customer success um, and do it early and do whatever it takes to make those first few customers successful. And, uh, you know, talking about category creation, one of my favorite examples is if we asked, uh, so David, who, who really invented the Uber of, of the world, right? The, uh, the, the new way we, we, we do transportation, who, yeah. who, 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 who did that? And you would say Uber since I just said it. But uh, uh, the truth be told, uh, there was a company called Magic Cab, I believe, that no one's ever heard of. Uh, they had an app and you could uh, hail a cab and it was the same sort of uh, c concept. Um, but they didn't get out there, didn't get the market sharing, get the brand awareness, did not um, also have the customer experience that Uber did. And that's the customer success um, factor that, that, you know, that someone can hail a, a ride and it shows that it reliably shows up and it gets you from where it is and it, point A to point B and you feel like it was a, a great price. All those sorts of things is really important early on in that category creation. And so uh, everyone needs to be uh, involved. Uh, you know, I would say uh, part of, you know, we didn't know this going into it, but part of what made it successful as the marketing leader and uh, as our, our CEO, Andrew, uh, those first few customers, uh, we did everything with them. We sold the deals. Uh, we helped implement the deals. Uh, we were in uh, the, you know, our development, um, our, our software developers sitting there um, looking at code, pretending like we knew what they were doing. Uh, and uh, uh, just every single step of the way, to make sure that uh, the product and services uh, met their expectations and then also that at the end of the day, uh, they got the return um, and, and saw that and, and got fulfillment of that vision um, that, that, that they bought into with us. And uh, those early customers are so, so important. Yeah. And then the, the last component on that, in, uh, which really uh, kicked PFL, PFL off, is uh, our evangelist uh, and our customers. And, and so um, mobilizing them uh, to to be able to uh, sp spread the word uh, and uh, uh, share their success 
uh, with, with the world. And so you have to find the right customers who are willing to do that, but make it easy for them to leave a review uh, online or make referrals, or uh, in our case, a lot of times it was get on stage um, and present. Um, and and, and th those were kind of the important components, I think, of, of for us of launching uh, into this category and, and what led us to, to really doing it in, in, in pretty short order um, in, in, in a couple of years. Good advice. Um, some things I'm hearing there is, you know, about stamina. When you use the word vision, right, that's not an overnight um, application. And so it's really, really tempting that when you've got a team of really, you know, passionate and creative people and, you know, they want to jazz up the messaging and, and, you know, keep evolving and changing things, you can often get off script uh, and, you know, what got you to define the category and make the original stories make sense may sometimes feel like it's boring because you've told it so many times and just resist that temptation because um, so many people haven't heard that message and they need to hear why this category is important and, and the story about doing that. Um, I'm glad you used, you know, it's not an, it's no, not an overnight success story by any um, yeah. means. Um, the other thing well, that you touched on... I think, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, oh, get your right. get your customers to amplify, you know, for you. So it's not just you that's talking about the category and the importance of it, but teaching your customers to tell the story um, and amplify that. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean that that persistence, um, and then I think that's one of the things that is. Uh, stuck with us early on. So we uh, met with another uh, person who defined a category, Mark Organ, uh, founded, founder of Eloqua and then now Influitive. And uh, he, he left a, a lasting impression on my mind. And I'm, I'm sure he said this publicly, but uh, he told me the statement, it's like starting a, a SaaS company or a new company is hard. Uh, it really is. And you have to be persistent and a little bit crazy to do that. Uh, doing a new category is even harder. And there's not a playbook. Uh, that you go follow when you're doing that, this uh, new category. The, yeah, there's similar industries and things like that, but you have to figure out and venture out to do a lot of things yourself for the first time. And, uh, and that teaching your, identifying whether it's best practices in our case to help our customers really get to success and learning from our customers so that we can now help other customers. Um, or uh, w whether that's just, uh, another instance in ours is we not only have our SaaS company where we, we, we charge for uh, software, but we also have consumption. You have to pay for the postage and fulfillment and, and, and things like that. Uh, that's a whole different um, ballgame of things you have to figure out. And uh, when you're trying to explain that to, to your banker or to your investors, um, you, you have to be persistent and just uh, sticking with the, the, the right way to do it and uh, that, that you believe in, and then also making sure that aligns with what your, your, your why you're doing this and, and, and for your customers um, as well. Good lessons. Let's talk a little bit um, just from a personal nature. I, you know, I talked a little bit about your background and the natural progression from the forestry service and firefighting into into PFL, having some fun there. But you've been there, you know, a long time, thirteen years. How have you developed as a marketer to pivot there? You know, what are some of the things that you kind of either wish you knew back then or you just value that you've learned along the journey? And by the way, you have, I think, the worst LinkedIn profile of any of my colleagues um, that I know out there because <laughs> you're, you're clearly a lifer there because you have no description of any of your roles or anything you've ever done, Daniel. So, uh, you know, just just pointing that out to you. As a marketer, you don't market Daniel, but that's because I know how committed you are there. But um, tell me about the personal journey and some some things that you've learned over time besides the importance of creating, creating a new category. 
Yeah, it, it's funny you say that. I was just thinking I need to update my LinkedIn profile, but that always gets put on the back burner because uh, just what you said is uh, what what we're doing uh, here at PFL is is so cool. And uh, the it really comes back to the same point though. In, and the reason I've stayed at PFL, most people look at me crazy and they say you're in marketing. You've been at the same company for 13 years. How is that that ever possible? And it's about the continuous learning. And so I've, uh, at, at PFL, I've always been able to uh, be put into positions that I'm not qualified for and uh, has a rapid learning curve uh, in, in, in those positions every time. So when you say, what would I wish I knew when I first got put into marketing? Uh, well, it's pretty much everything because uh, I had a, a degree in marketing uh, and I had uh, uh, helped a, a few customers with uh, websites and that as a freelancer. And that was kind of my marketing experience. So um, I, I really knew nothing. And so much as David said, he went and bought some books. Uh, I was a little, I'm a little bit younger than him because the internet existed. So I was able to uh, spend a lot of time just really educating myself uh, and, and being open. But the biggest uh, thing I think that has been uh, helped me and helped PFL in, in my career is by getting different perspectives from, from people who would do things differently than, than the status quo. And so a lot of times if you read you know, the, the marketing blogs and things like that, so much is the same and same and same over. But if you really get outside of the normal circles, you run in what you can learn. And uh, PFL, we kind of had a little bit of that built in. And the, one of the biggest uh, concepts that has been influential in my marketing career uh, is the concept of lean manufacturing mm -hmm. uh, and uh, lean processes, which isn't all that different than, than, than agile, but uh, one, one particular component um, or a couple components of lean that really stand out is that there's uh, one best way um, to do everything. And that is only until you discover the next best way, uh, which leads into the, the second component, which I really like about the, the lean principle, which is people improving the work they do. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think in marketing, we sometimes skip uh, to, to saying we always have to be doing something new. Um, and we don't have a standard for what is the best way um, to, to do things. Uh, if you, by most MarTech, you'll notice there's not a clear guide to here's how you have success with this, right? Everyone uh, creates their own way to implement Salesforce, to implement Marketo, and to some extent, there are some a few best practices, but they're, they're, they're divergent. But so you need to develop those on your own in, in marketing, and then you need to continuously improve um, upon those processes. And so establish that baseline um, and continue to learn uh, every single day. Um, and and that's, that's that's really what's kept me at PFL. Um, it's the you know the advice I would give my my younger self would be to uh, really look outside of to, to other industries and to look for uh, opportunities to to accelerate that learning. And uh, the other one would be not not to worry about failure. Um, and that's I definitely appreciate that about PFL. Is as long as long as I've been able to uh, learn from an experience, failure has been treated as a uh, um, a, a plus and, and not a minus. It doesn't mean I'm still comfortable with it. Uh, you know, it's easy to say uh, fail often, fail fast, uh, but no one likes to, to say, oh, that didn't work. I put a lot of effort into that website re re redesign. Um, so I, I would push my younger self to be more comfortable with uh, uh, w with failing fast and, and, and reiterating. It's a, it's a fascinating thing how uncomfortable people are with failure or admitting to failure. Um, two things. One is, um, I highly recommend everybody who's listening to this podcast to go back a few weeks and find the podcast with Jeremy Bloom, who is the founder and CEO of Integrate. Um, you might also know Jeremy as a world champion skier, Olympian. He's also the, the brother of Molly Bloom. 
and uh, he wrote a book, Fueled by Failure, and um, it's a great podcast just talking about embracing failure. And so, you know, the, the second thing I was going to say is we had a leadership team meeting recently, and we had four pages up on the wall, you know, those, those kind of you kind of rip off your note, uh, the big uh, post-it things, and you stick on the wall. And so we had hashtag winning on, on one of them. Uh, we had hashtag working, which are things that we're still working on, and the winning was the things that we have felt we succeeded as a team over the last year. And then we had another hashtag for horizons, um, which were things that we need to start working on. And then I had hashtag failing. And like when I got to that piece of paper, someone said, do we have to call it failures? Like, can we call it like misses or learnings? Like they were just uncomfortable with a piece of paper saying these are the things that we failed at. And um, even though we really create a culture of risk-taking, that word is just, it's not even a four-letter word. It's got maybe many more characters than that, but people don't like it. And embrace risk and failure and change. It is so rewarding. You can, you can change the world. You can change your life. You can change your kids' lives, you know, by, by um, you know, taking smart risk and, and learning from that, the best lessons, um, certainly, from, from learning. I uh, want to wrap up by talking a little bit about your conference, which is about a week away. Um, two things about it. I mean, you know, PFL is a growing company. They just raised a ton of money from Goldman Sachs, and they're building a new facility. So if you're tired of wherever you are living and want to go to the, one of the most beautiful states in our country, albeit cold at sometimes, you can probably talk more about it, um, consider a career there. I know that you guys are hiring um, and consistently hiring, and so I know some people complain about the Bay Area or the East Coast and, you know, Hey, check out check out PFL because they are growing and they are hiring. You guys are also having a conference, which it is absolutely an honor to be your keynote speaker. Um, if you guys are looking to go check out Montana and learn from other great marketers um, and maybe join me for, for my keynote, it's bigskybigideas.com is where you can uh, register for it. And uh, as I've always said on this program, like nobody pays us or ask me to promote things. I promote and talk about the things that I am passionate about and the things that I think add value to you, um, my listeners. So um, it's always good to get away and get inspired. So Big Sky, Big Ideas. I'm doing a keynote on the power of storytelling. The actual uh, session title is called The Power Between Your Lips. And yes, I'm always talking about MarTech, but I also love the science behind communication. And so um, thank you, Daniel, for inviting me to do that. And I'm really, really excited and looking forward to it. Yeah. Thank you so much for being part of the event as well. Uh, for those of you who don't know, David was one of our top rated speakers last year on a different topic on neuromarketing. Um, and it was just fascinating uh, presentation as well. So we're, we're honored to have you um, be part of it along with a lineup of just other just great customers and other thought leaders in the industry to to share their stories. And, and it's a really a different conference. Um, and it's small, it's intimate, uh, and it's about really marketers helping marketers uh, do better at what they're, what they're working on. So uh, we're, we're excited about the event. If you can make it, uh, you can find the Big Sky Big Ideas on our website, pfl.com, and uh, register there. Yeah, it is It is an intimate conference, and after you and I just spending um, a lot of weeks at the major conferences, um, you know, one of the greatest things you get out of these conferences is the networking, the connections, the conversations, and, you know, with a small intimate event that you guys put on and do a world-class job, it's, it's great. So I am looking forward to thank you for inviting me back and this time making me the keynote. Um, awesome. Wanted to uh, also just say that the night that we were in Las Vegas together, um, playing craps late, one or two in the morning, and having some good conversations was super fun. I think we came away, wasn't it 
we were just even, Stephen, or was I down five bucks or something? And you were up slightly. I can't it, remember exactly. I, I, I was up five, and you were down five. So I gave you five, which you then immediately put on the roulette table. Yeah. <laughs> but you just could, you just couldn't leave Vegas up, David. I couldn't. And I, you know, did we lose that money? I bet we did. I don't know. I'm a risk taker. That was an experiment in risk. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I thought I was doing you a favor by saying, hey, David, I want you to leave Vegas even. You're, and, uh, you're a good you would, guy. You wouldn't let me do it. You know uh, what? Yeah. We, what I say, the people in Montana are good people, and you're a good person. Well, hey, give my best to the team. I will see you guys in a week and deliver a killer keynote session. And uh, I hope everyone got a lot of value out of just the idea of creating a new category, whether it's for your service or whether it's for your products or your company. Um, it's bold. It's not for the faint at heart to do so, but it's sometimes really required to differentiate yourself from your competition because if you are perceived as first, and like Daniel said, Uber wasn't first, but they sure did a great job creating the perception that they were first. When you're first, you are typically the market share leader. So if you do it right, it's worth the effort. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Hey, Daniel, thank you for joining me again. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in on the podcast. Tell some people about it. You know, Click subscribe if you haven't already. Post something on LinkedIn about it. If you got inspired from it or learned something, share that. I really appreciate the community that is growing around the podcast. So thanks, everybody. And that'll do it for this episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.